Hi there. My name is Lucas Weiss, and I am the host of the Weiss Sports Quarantine Chronicles. For today's episode, I'm joined by Zach Buchanan, the Arizona Diamondbacks beat reporter for The Athletic. In this episode, I chat with Zach about his journey into sports media, his approach to covering the Arizona Diamondbacks, as well as the challenges reporting on baseball amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. The Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to episode 61 with Zach Buchanan on the Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles. All right, on today's episode of the Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles, I am joined by Zach Buchanan. He is an Arizona Diamondbacks reporter for The Athletic. He also writes about baseball prospects for The Athletic. Zach, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. And, and Zach, I've had a few baseball media folks on this show, and, and I usually lead with the same question. I mean, we're recording this, and MLB teams are supposed to be reporting to summer camp this week, which is a fancy way of saying spring training 2.0. I'm just curious, from, from your perspective, what it's going to be like covering the Diamondbacks where in the backdrop, COVID-19 cases are, are increasing in the state of Arizona? Uh, I mean, it's going to be weird. Uh, they're having their first workout tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to go just to see kind of what it's like. Um, but odds are, I mean, I have a two-month-old daughter at home. Mm. Odds are I won't be covering games in person, certainly not going on the road. Um, with interviews being conducted remotely, I'm not sure there's a lot to be gained by being there. There's certainly a lot to risk by being there. Um, although I think, you know, I'm hoping that the safety and health precautions that were laid out by MLB, they seem very thorough. And if they're followed thoroughly, it probably won't be that dangerous, but still it's more dangerous than at home. Um, so it's going to be weird. I mean, things are bad here in Arizona right now. The cases are going the wrong way. Um, I, the hope is that the, a lot of the municipalities here uh, enacted mask requirements. Um, and the hope is that that will kind of take us back down the curve a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's going to get uglier before it gets better here. So it's, it's a concerning environment to be having guys report to play baseball in. And as a reporter, I mean, obviously you have skin in the game, like all baseball media and broadcasters, you want baseball to come back. It puts food on the table. It pays the bills. But that being said, you know, you're also a journalist. And you also, I think, have to balance writing about baseball and, and those, you know, the, the normalcies that come with that with this abnormal thing called a pandemic, which will be hovering across over the 60-game season. So, What's that challenge going to be like for you, trying to balance those two opposing forces, if you will? I mean, uh, honestly, I don't think it's that hard. As much as, you know, it would be great for all of us to have baseball back. Um, you have Every story that's written this year um, about anything going on is going to have to be balanced against, the, like, the, the question of, is this a good idea to be doing this? Um, I mean, it's driven home for me because I have a wife who works in a hospital. Mm. who's thankfully on maternity leave right now, but she'll go back in like a month. And I have an infant daughter who is very uh, vulnerable in terms of her, her immune system. Uh, and so 
I, I, it makes me concerned. It makes me say, you know, I'd rather not go on the road when usually I'm signing up for every road trip I can get. Uh, I'd rather not cover games in person um, if I'm not going to get in-person access to the players, which to be clear, it's a good thing that we're not going to get in-person access to the players. I mean, we all want to take these precautions. Um, but I'm leaning on the sides of I don't, not only do I want to keep myself safe, I want to keep my daughter safe, my wife safe. Um, and, and so you do have to ask the question, is this, is this thing going to work? Is it a good idea? Um, and I have my doubts. Um, I don't blame baseball for trying to do this. Every other business in America is trying to figure out a way to go forward um, in a world with COVID-19 and no vaccine. Baseball shouldn't be any different. Um, the big question that's yet to be answered by Major League Baseball is where's the breaking point? At what point do you get too many positive tests, too many people sick, maybe too many people hospitalized, and you have to pull the plug and say, okay, shut it down. We're, we're, this is not worth it anymore. Um, they haven't said where that point is. Maybe they don't know where that point is, but there needs to be that point somewhere or else we're gonna get to the point where you get a lot of positive tests and suddenly you're playing more of, the, of an ass covering game where you're trying to keep this thing rolling at all costs instead of taking a step back and saying like, okay, no, we tried, it didn't work. Are you gonna refine your approach, Zach, to covering the team this year, given that it's 60 games or, or, or are you still thinking like, okay, despite it being just 60 games, you're still going to talk about players and trends and, and, and the normal analysis that could be in a 162-game season? Um, probably somewhere in between. I mean, we're still going to talk about players and trends. I mean, we're always looking for those stories. Um, the, the backdrop of that being that uh, I don't think over this season we're ever going to get to the point where the game, the coverage is just like normal, where like no one's thinking about COVID-19. I think it's always going to be just part of it. It's going to be the backdrop of every story. Um, but, I mean, I'll, I'll still do player features. If someone is raking through the first month of the season, I'll write about it. Um, the, the different Two differences for me will be, one, just the mechanics of doing my job, where usually you're in the clubhouse for an hour before the game, every game. You get a chance to talk to the players just privately, chat them up, get to know them a little bit, and that's where a lot of my best story ideas come from. It's when I can approach a player about a story idea and kind of get a sense of personal rapport with that person and figure out if they're willing to talk to me, especially if about something very personal to them. Um, and I just don't have that ability now. Um, we're going to do all interviews organized by the team through Zoom. It's kind of up in the air how many one-on-ones they're going to be able to facilitate, whether uh, we're going to have to go outside of the team to contact players directly we might know. Um, I still have to do my job. and it, PR's job is undeniably harder than it was before, um, trying to set up all this stuff remotely where uh, they can't really be in personal contact with the players either. So, I mean, it's a tricky mix to figure out, and it's going to change the coverage a little bit just because we don't have those ways for ideas to organically come up in conversation with players in the clubhouse. Um, and the flip side of it is that my job of the athletic not having to write every day, I don't write many game stories. Mm. Um, and it's an easy thing to justify because over 162 games, the value of one game is not that important. Um, last year on opening day, uh, the Diamondbacks got shelled by the Dodgers. It was just a horrible, horrible loss. Um, and I didn't write 
anything off the game because even though it was opening day, the, like that game really didn't mean anything. You couldn't draw any conclusions from it. Um, over 60 games, that might be different. I mean, the one loss could very well be the difference between the playoffs and not the playoffs. You're going to have a lot of teams bunched together at the end of the season looking at the postseason. So uh, I might have to be just like the teams will be more reactive to things happening in any individual game. I will have to do the same thing because it's going to have a bigger effect on the season. As I said off the top, you know, not only do you write about the Diamondbacks, but you also write about prospects. What is the breakdown for you between articles on the Diamondbacks and talking about prospects? Well, it, that was something that only got started this year, and mm -hmm. we were going to figure out that balance, you know, it, pretty much starting in spring training. Uh, and then the pandemic has just, you know, thrown a big old wrench in the works. So we don't really know. Um, my prospects is prospect features. So I'm not doing like rankings and breaking down guys' tools and high risers and systems. That's all Keith Law's job. Um, they wanted me to write kind of features to let you know who these guys are, if they have interesting backstories. And the way I kind of approach it in spring training, just because I feel it's important to have personal uh, access to these guys if I can, especially guys who are not Diamondbacks prospects and I don't know them as well or the team as well. I wanted to attack a lot of that stuff in spring training and go see these guys while they were in my backyard here in Arizona. And I did that a little bit. I, I did a story on Taylor Trammell early in spring training with the Padres. I did a story on Cody Thomas with the Dodgers. I had a few other ideas lined up and then spring training ground to a halt. Um, and so now it's a little harder, especially with prospects who are not Diamondbacks prospects. I don't know their farm directors. Uh, I may know their agents, but it's just hard to do like a big get to know you feature over the phone. Um, and so it remains to be seen how that's going to look going forward. Um, maybe if they do an expanded fall league and things are a little safer, that's another opportunity to really get to know a lot of prospects from other teams. But right now it's just like, if I have a story that's about a prospect, usually it's about a Diamondbacks prospect. If someone tips me off to a story about another team's prospect, I'll probably do the story if I can, if I know I have a good angle. Um, but it's just hard right now, especially when we have riders covering all the other teams who right now don't have the normal access they do to their major league players. Maybe they want to write about these prospects. I don't want to take a story away from them. So we're kind of in a wait and see mode with how that's going to look going forward. But maybe next year when things are more normal, we'll get a, a sense of how often I'll be writing prospects and how often Diamondbacks stuff. Well, and speaking of one of, you know, those stories on the Diamondbacks prospects, you recently wrote a story on Corbin Carroll. And I think what makes this story really unique is how you sort of introduced it in the lead and how, you know, he's, you know, sitting at this Phoenix eatery, the Henry, with Camelback Mountain looming nearby. And I think those types of images and, you know, narr that narrative is really compelling to a reader because, you know, not many, you know, unless you're a real prospects follower and you really follow the team, you know, you don't know about this guy. And I think by, you know, painting that picture and making it a little bit more relatable in this case that he wants to, you know, go to potentially Arizona State, I think it makes it a lot more compelling to the reader. So is that sort of your approach to, to try to get to, for readers to know who these prospects are? Yes. Yeah. Um, this is the thing I really believe about writing features like that, um, that specificity is like the key. Um, we, we've read stories before about players going back to school. Um, it's not uncommon for that to happen, as I said in the story. Um, 
And it's not uncommon for them to get advice from a different player like he got from Carson Kelly. Um, what, what makes that not a bland story is just digging into the details. So even small things like Corbin couldn't remember where they got dinner because he doesn't live here. But Carson Kelly could, and I know Carson. And so even though it seems like a weird thing to ask, it's like, hey, do you remember the restaurant? And if I had gone farther, I could ask, do you remember what you ordered? Hmm. Um, and I could have laid out the scene a little bit, and it, it, it would have felt more like, okay, this is something very specific to these two people. This is where they were at this moment in time, as opposed to, oh, he had a conversation with Carson Kelly once about this. It just doesn't seem as interesting because it's so general. So um, I'm big on trying to get as specific as possible. But yeah, my goal with these prospect features when I write them is to, to let you know these guys. Uh, it's going to be fairly, it's fairly rare with a prospect that you're writing about a guy that everybody knows about already. I mean, it has to be like the, maybe the guys ranked in the top 10 of all prospects. Most of them are, are, are guys that maybe the fan base has heard a little bit about, know that they're coming, but they don't know much about who they are, where they came from. And so my goal is to fill in those blanks um, and write about things like that. So sometimes I've been given a good angle on a guy like the Cody Thomas thing was my angle was kind of his decision to give up football. He was a quarterback at uh, University of Oklahoma and kind of made a very late decision to stick with baseball. And now he, in spring training, at least he was hitting bombs all over the place. And sometimes it's just a guy that like I wrote about Alec Thomas for the Dynamax. Like he's a good prospect. I didn't have an angle on him other than knowing that he's the son of the White Sox strength and conditioning coach, which has been a tidbit included on any profile ever written about him. So it's not, it's hardly unique. But I just wanted to dig in more like, okay, this guy's good. Let's figure out where he came from. Let's figure out what makes him tick, what what makes him exciting, and write about that. So, um, yeah, the, I don't want to get too lost in kind of mechanics of a player's swing or his delivery or something like that. Or uh, I want to leave the reader coming away from story feeling like, okay, I, I kind of know who this guy is and why he's different than this other outfielder who also has a lot of power and just think that person's personal story. Shifting gears and talking about your career, you're, you're actually my first guest on the show who graduated from Northwestern's journalism <laughs> program, the Metal School. And anyone who knows, you know, the Metal, Metal School is one of the top journalism programs, not just in the United States, but in North America. I'm just curious what that program specifically taught you, and just in terms of the fundamentals and the foundation that prepared you to have a successful career in this industry? Uh, well, this may make me an apostate at Medill, but uh, I wasn't a great college student at all. Uh, and I don't, so I don't know if I didn't get much out of the journalism classes there because I wasn't a great student, which is entirely possible, or just because journalism is a very hard thing to teach. It's the thing you learn by doing mm -hmm. and making mistakes and getting edited. Uh, there's certainly like small things that I remember like that are specific to my experience at the Medill, like certain AP style things like, you know, the, the phrase chomping at the bit is spelled C-H-A-M-P-I-N-G, not C-H-O-M-P-I-N-G. Um, small things like that that just get drilled into you. Um, but most of the, what I've learned about how I do my job is from doing my job. I didn't take a sports journalism course at Medill. I wrote for the, the Daily Northwestern, the student newspaper for a year. Um, and learned a lot doing that. But I, most of what I learned has been through internships and then, you know, in my professional career once I graduated. And Medill certainly opened a lot of doors for me. 
uh, in terms of getting internships, being able to put that on your resume is a huge boost. Uh, and it, it, it really, uh, it's probably a little unfair just because I don't think that I'm any better than someone who didn't go to Medill, but it gets your resume looked at and uh, that, that helped me a lot. And, uh, uh, but I don't know that it, I think it's hard to teach journalism. I think there are a lot of people who do journalism that didn't take, go to journalism school and do as good a job as anybody else. And so it, I think it's just something you have to learn by doing. I think you hit a, a really good point because I think, you know, I've had many guests on the show that just take different paths to get to where they are today in sports journalism. And, and you, you don't have to go down the journalism school route. You can do different things. And, I'm not trying to, to underplay journalism schools. Like I, you know, currently in a journalism program where you do learn the fundamentals and, and certainly foundational skills, but the best part about it is going out there to cover live sports. And that's where you can really, as you say, make the mistakes, get your reps so you can be a better writer or journalist going down the road because I'm sure you know, Zach, like every story is different. Every story is, you know, different nuances and ways to approach it. And it's not like a cookie cutter approach like you may learn in the classroom, so, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing that you can learn in the classroom about how to operate inside of a clubhouse, mm -hmm. how to deal with the, the unique aspects of sports journalism where you have to talk to the GM constantly. Uh, you probably deal more with a PR staff than you would otherwise. Um, there's there's nothing that teaches you how to come up with fresh story ideas over the course of a 162-game season. Uh, it, it's just a, a really unique world, sports journalism. Uh, and uh, it's... It's, it's just strange and different and it's a, it's its own unique environment. And you just, you just got to be in it to learn, to not sit on the clubhouse couches, to, uh, to learn how to interact in a, a group interview setting with players and learn when you have, a, when you see someone having a one-on-one -on -one with a player, that it's the unspoken law that you don't come up and try and join it. You wait till they're done. So you can, uh, you know, give them their, their privacy. And it takes experience and, and confidence when you're having a one-on-one -on -one and suddenly some TV camera shows up behind you to turn around and say, hey, can you give us a minute? I'm, we're kind of talking about something specific. Uh, there's just a lot of things that, I mean, it just took me doing and, and being a, an idiot about to learn what, what to do, what not to do, how to operate with people. And uh, I'm still learning to this day. I make mistakes all the time. Um, and it's, you just got to be there to do it. There's no substitute for experience. And speaking of that experience, I mean, you know, you had internships, as you said, at the South Florida Sun Centennial, the Dallas Cowboys. But then you, you know, you got an opportunity to work at the Daily News as a sports reporter covering high school sports. And I think this is common with a lot of, you know, young journalists where they, you know, they obviously want a, a big time beat covering a professional team. But you got to get your start somewhere. And oftentimes it's high school sports. What did you learn about those two years covering high school sports that, you know, gave you those skills and those reps that you then could lead to other opportunities? Uh, well, I learned a lot. Uh, and yeah, I was like a lot of people thinking, uh, I, okay, I want to go from college and to like start covering like college sports in some college town or something like maybe a lower tier division one school or something like that. And I wasn't ready for that. Uh, and so unlike a lot of my classmates at Medill, like a lot of people saw how hard it was to get a job and you had to go somewhere really small to start out. 
You couldn't just start at the Chicago Tribune. And they all said, you know what, maybe journalism's not for me. I didn't have any better ideas of what I would do other than journalism. So I went to a small town that I'd never been in, in Longview, Washington. And I'm from Dallas, Texas. I'd never been to that part of the country before. Um, and it taught me a lot. I mean, it, it taught me, I worked out a lot of bad habits in my writing up there. I mean, I can read some stories from back then and be like, oh, my goodness. But you can kind of see how I got better. And, you, you know, the only way to get better as a writer is to do a lot of writing. Um, and then you start to, to learn, okay, I, I feel like I've written this story a million times now. What's a different way to go about it? And that, that's how you kind of start looking for new avenues. I, I learned a lot about, I mean, it was my first time covering a beat. I learned a lot about how to build relationships. Um, I, you know, there wasn't a lot of like breaking news because we didn't have like any competition. Um, but it was a lot of kind of learning where you could find a good story, who would, who would clue you into a good story, how to build relationships with these uh, high school coaches and with these administrators and oftentimes with the athletes. I mean, there are some of these high school athletes that I still keep in touch with. One, Rem Bacamus, who was a walk-on at Gonzaga and is now, I think, a, a, a assistant coach or maybe like a, a graduate assistant at Baylor. Uh, I've kept in touch with him throughout the years. I mean, these relationships just kind of keep filtering through your life. And uh, that was my first chance to really – you know, be the person that's solely responsible for the coverage of high schools there. There was no one else but me. I mean, it was me and the sports editor, but I had to go kind of be in charge of finding my own stories. Um, and it, it just really had to kind of thrown into the fire, hit the ground running. It's pretty low stakes environment, all things considered, but it prepared me for the next step, which was covering high school sports at the Arizona Republic in charge of all the high schools for the entire state. So uh, I really needed that experience in the two years I spent there. And then at the Arizona Republic, Zach, did you get to do Diamondbacks coverage? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I, I spent, I, I came back uh, at a, on a high school sports position and spent a year covering high schools. And then I, I got put on the backup to uh, Diamondbacks in, in the middle of the 2013 season, which was not something I was expecting. I was just told, okay, here, you're the Diamondbacks backup now. I, I think it was a case of them recognizing that, you know, I might have some potential in wanting to cultivate it, which was very nice of them. And I was Nick Bocoro's backup, who's now one of my best friends and also one of my competitors. Uh, and I learned a lot. I was, I was the backup from basically the halfway point of the 2013 season through the end of the 2015 season, uh, at which point I was ready to take that next step. Because when the off season hit, I had to go back up all the other sports in town. I had to cover ASU games and I had to cover morning skates for the Coyotes and Cardinals practices and some sun stuff. Uh, and I was, I didn't get to go to the winter meetings. I didn't get to focus on baseball in the off season. And I felt like myself kind of hitting a plateau. So I, I was like, okay, I want to go someplace where I'm going to have a little more responsibility. And then it ended up being Cincinnati. But uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting to cover baseball at all. Uh, I was actually, had been actually asked a couple months before putting, putting on the Diamondbacks that whether I'd want to do baseball or football, most of my experience was in football. So I said football. But uh, kind of the experience of those two and a half seasons of covering baseball, it bred more uh, love for the game and certainly a love for the, the kind of access and stories we get to tell compared to other sports. And I, by the end of it, I was pretty determined to stick with baseball no matter what. So you go to Cincinnati to cover the Reds. And, you know, this is, of course, a franchise that has a ton of history in the game of baseball. Was it? 
intimidating for you, Zach? I mean, to, to, to then parachute into, you know, a beat in a city where, you know, you had a lot of, I'm assuming reporters, you know, alongside that have been covering the team for so long, or did you think that your experiences that you've had already at the Arizona Republic, you know, prepared you for this opportunity? Uh, it definitely was intimidating, especially in like my first month on the job, uh, which was in spring training. I hadn't even moved to Cincinnati yet. Uh, and to show up and kind of have story ideas to write about a team that you've never covered and, you know, have had to do a crash course of, of reading on both on the current team and the, you know, 150 years of history that the Reds have. Uh, it was very intimidating. Yeah. And uh, the, the fan base there is very vocal and very passionate. And uh, they, even when the team was horrible, they were super, super interested, um, which is very different from the Narmax, who are a very new team and play in a state where everybody is from somewhere else. And, has other loyalties and uh, across sports. Um, so it was very different. I, I was fortunate enough to have a partner on the beat there and see Trent Rosecrans, mm. who had been covering the Reds for some time and we shared the beat equally. It's one of the few places left at newspapers where they have two full-time beat writers. Mm. Um, and I'm not even sure that's the case anymore. Neither Trent nor I are there. Um, but it, he was a big resource for me to be able to lean on and ask questions of, is this a good story idea? Am I reading this situation right? And they also had a, a terrific front office group that was like very helpful and kind of helped you understand the team's thinking with certain things. And it was not very difficult to build relationships with those guys. Um, and so after about a month, I felt like I had kind of a good handle on it. And I, I look back at the two years I spent there is like really two years where I really figured out how to do my job. Um, and uh, I, I, did some of my favorite work there and really felt in com command of the beat by the end of it. Um, and, and so, but it, it definitely was intimidating. I mean, I, I remember when they signed Alfredo Simon early in spring training that first year and Alfredo Simon has a very checkered history with, uh, you know, he accidentally killed a guy in the Dominican Republic by shooting a, a gun into the air. He was accused of rape. Um, and it was controversial. And at the point they signed him a couple of weeks into me being on the job, I did not feel like well-versed enough in the history to be able to cover it well enough and appropriately. Um, and I, I got some criticism for it, which I probably deserved. Um, but by the end of my time there, I felt like I really knew what I was doing. I know that many of my, my, my listeners are Canadian. Do you have any good Joey Votto stories? Uh. Yeah, I'll give you one. Uh, I love Joey. I, I will Great never guy. find a, a player as interesting as Joey, and I'm fortunate enough to uh, have kept up with him a little bit since leaving. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that I, maybe I think it was my second year in the beat, in the, just sitting around the clubhouse, and these are the, the things you miss now with no clubhouse access. Um, the, Joey just started asking everybody, hey, what's your Uber rating? What's your Uber rating? And I looked at mine, I was like, well, I'm 4.86. And Mark Sheldon's like, I think I'm 4.9. He's like, I'm 4.54. What is wrong with my Uber rate? And he, he was concerned because if you drop below 4.5, you lose access to Uber Black, which is a super fancy version of Uber, Uber right? Um, and he liked taking the black cars. He liked having kind of his privacy and more power to him. I mean, he's a, one of the best players in baseball and makes a ton of money. He should be able to take Uber Black if he wants. Um, but he was very concerned that his uh, Uber rating was about to drop below that threshold and lose access to this. And, you know, people started asking, well, 
what do you do? Do you say hello to the driver? Yes, I say hello. Uh, well, what about do you talk to the driver when you're in there? No, like I want to lay down and like sleep and not be bothered, which, you know, I agree he should be able to do that. It shouldn't affect his rating. But we're all trying, everybody's trying to puzzle over like why his rating is so low. And it turns out that he, you know, being Joey Votto, was able to pull some strings to, to exempt himself from those requirements to be able to get Uber Black. Uh, and so Joey Votto changed Uber pretty much overnight. Um, but it, it, I mean, that's just like a funny interaction you have with guys in the clubhouse and, and Joey's always kind of his, in his idiosyncratic way, really fun guy to talk to and get to know. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, a great ball player and, you know, has been so impactful for growing the game of baseball here in Canada. I, I know that the Blue Jays were supposed to host the Reds this year, but, you know, got, you know, due to COVID couldn't happen, but yeah, I mean, just a great guy and you know a great baseball player that we're that we're lucky to have as our own yeah for sure I mean there's there's not a more interesting person in baseball I don't think no doubt Zach I mean you know it's funny how you know you you obviously you know you're now back you know you're now at the athletic covering the Diamondbacks how does your coverage of the Diamondbacks compare now to when you wrote at the Arizona Republic uh, I mean, it's, it's very different just because the demands of the job are super different. Um, we're not, I don't have a paper to fill every day. Mm. So at, at the Republic, we had early deadlines. So we never actually wrote game stories because the games would end after deadline. Um, so what we would do is every day we do like a main story. So 600, 700 words, a feature or something on some analytical trend going on, et cetera, et cetera, a full notes package. And then you do like a recap something you're it's kind of like almost bullet pointy like this thing happened in the second inning just all the important things that happened in the game that you could pretty much send in at the final out and they would show people in the paper the next morning okay here's what happened I think that system has changed a little bit since I was there just because you know the print product has dwindled in importance compared to online um so I don't think they they serve it as much but uh I mean, it, especially when you were the only rider on the road and I got to do a few road trips when I was there. I mean, that's a lot of things you're filing all by yourself every single day. Um, and now I don't, I don't do any of that, none of that, except for like the feature portion. And with that stuff, you know, they want us riding three to four times a week. And so I've got some time to do some deeper stuff. So I really take advantage of being able to make two or three extra phone calls if I can, or being, if I have like a story I think is really good and gonna, really deserves a lot of attention. I'll sit with it for like a day, just like trying to figure out how to write my opening section of it because I want it to be so good. And I would never have the luxury of time to do that at a newspaper just because I have too many masters to serve. You know, you got to get stories in so you can't spend forever, you know, worry about that guy that you wanted to talk to who didn't call you back or how your lead comes across. You just got to get it in. And sometimes that can be a very good limitation to have on yourself because it forces you to kind of not be so precious about what you're writing and just get the job done and it can help your creative juices flow a little better just out of necessity um but now like i i've i've had the freedom to do more in-depth stuff so i don't i don't do game stuff no no one reads game stories anymore um they can all look up the box score and look at the highlights and look at the ap gamer and figure out what happened and so it, it, you know if i write off a game usually i'm looking at a certain trend or uh something so important happened in the game that it just cannot be ignored there are a lot of times where I do most of my work before the game and then I would watch the game, go down to the clubhouse afterwards just to hear what people say, just in case someone said something super interesting and then just go home. I wouldn't write. 
Um, and that, it took me a little while to get in the rhythm of that because it's, it's habit to, to think every game is important to, to want to write about it. Um, but it's not. And so now I, I'm actually, I think, better prepared for covering baseball in a pandemic because I'm used to having to work outside the normal flow of, of the season and calling people, getting people on the phone, doing in-depth stuff. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's super different from what I was doing before. And it, it took a while to break some of my old habits. Yeah. And like, I think it, it's part of the reason why I think newspapers are, are on the decline is just like the fact that, you know, people aren't willing to read, you know, these sort of, you know, game stories and just like the, the, the day-to-day churning of articles. Whereas at the athletic, and I think what makes the athletic MLB so great with all the talented writers and journalists that you have is like, you know, you don't, you know, you go beyond the box score, you go beyond, you know, the winner and the loser, and you really can dig deep into a really good piece. And some of the pieces are a lot at the athletic. Like, they're not like your shorter newspaper style stories, but they really dig deep and go beyond, you know, the normal, you know, outcome of a game. And, you know, whether it's on a trend or a feature, I think, you know, you guys do some really great work. And, you know, you're surrounded by, you know, some fantastic colleagues like Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark and younger people like yourself have this opportunity to, to work alongside those really great people. Yeah, I mean, we've got a – we're like the 27 Yankees, man. we got heavy yeah. hitters all over the place. But, yeah, I mean, it, you're right that some of our pieces are longer. Kind of an interesting wrinkle of it is that you find yourself – where before you writing kind of daily, you didn't have this question of – is this important enough to write about? Because even if it was a small tidbit, okay, I got a space in my notebook for that. I'm always looking for notes. I got to fill up the notebook. What am I gonna What am I gonna put in the notebook? I don't have a notebook now. So now I'm constantly asking myself, is this thing important enough for me to write about, or is it gonna feel like I'm wasting our subscribers' time writing about it because it's the kind of like surface level stuff they'd get anywhere else? Um, and it takes a while to kind of learn where that barometer is. Um, and I've got a good feel for it now. And it, the pandemic's thrown a bit, thrown me a bit for a loop because now stuff that I might not write about before, like I'm desperate for stories because there's nothing going on. So we're like, okay, I'm going to write about this. And you try and make it as good as it can be. Um, but yeah, we do do a lot of in-depth stuff. It's, it's our mission to not do the game story stuff and to offer you something that you're not getting somewhere else which is fun, but also has like a lot of pressure because, you know, you gotta, you can't just go along with talking to the starting pitcher after the game, talking to the other people after the game and covering the news of the day. You've got to come up with new ideas that other people aren't having. And you can kind of get in your own head about that sometimes. Last question for you, Zach. And I always ask this of my sports media guests. What's one piece of advice that you give to a young journalist or a writer, you know, looking to get into this industry to progress in their career or improve on honing their craft? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think my path into the industry kind of starting in a small paper, I'm not sure how viable it is anymore. It's just because all these papers are struggling and not hiring and it's just a really tough way to go. I might have been on the last kind of end of you know the, the the generation that was able to do that my suggestion on writing and getting better is to write a lot find somewhere that will publish the things you write about what you want to write um you know if it's blogging that's fine but if you can like 
call up a newspaper or a website that covers something you want to cover, ask if they're looking for help, ask if they'll read your stuff. Uh, but the biggest thing is to write and get edited. Get someone who will look at your stuff and really tear it apart, honestly. Like that's how you're gonna break yourself of bad habits is by having someone read your stuff and mark it up and saying, this isn't the right way to say that. That's not AP style. You should rework this sentence. It's a little clunky. You might want to think about reorganizing this section of what you've written. That's the way you get better. Um, at my first job, every time I would write something, we didn't have work laptops. So we always came back from, from games, high school games, into the office to write. We had a really late deadline. I think it was like midnight. And so we'd write at our desktop, me right next to my editor, both writing stories. And then when I was done, I would go over to his cubicle right next to mine and look over his shoulder as he edited me. And I've done that with other editors too, young in my career. And that's how you get better. You look at kind of what they're changing. You notice what they're changing. And that's how you learn not to make those mistakes again. Um, and so that'd be my biggest advice. Even if you're just writing for your blog, find someone who will read it in the industry and give you some tips. Zach Buchanan, he is the Arizona Diamondbacks reporter for The Athletic. Zach, thanks so much for joining me today on the Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles. Yeah, thanks for having me on.